Welcome to our Portuguese Table Podcast. I'm Maria Lott and these are in Green Bean. And I'm Angela Samoz and we're just two chicks dishing about Portuguese food, culture, and what it means to be Portuguese. So grab a glass of vinho or um copo de café and join us as we talk about our favorite foods, reminisce about growing up Portuguese, and interview some of our community's most successful chefs and food writers. So, so sit, sit down, down at our Portuguese, Portuguese table. table. Welcome everybody to another episode of our Portuguese Table. Hi Maria. How are Hi, you? Angela. I am fine, querida. I am fine. Good, good. Today's episode is with Lucy Pepper, or I should say Peppa, because Peppa. She, <laughs> she is a British national who's been living in Portugal for many, many years. She'll give us the details. I'm so excited. She's actually our first non-Portuguese, like eth- ethnically, like non-Portuguese person right. on the podcast, but who lives but she in lives there. Lives, I mean... Lives well, I love Portugal, I would say, more than yeah, some Portuguese I, people I know. So. <laughs> it really is. It's all about the love of, of Portugal. Portugal, so. right? right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Welcome. So welcome, Lucy. We're so happy to have you here. Hi, ladies. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So just so for a little bit of background, I met Lu- Well, actually, I've never actually met you. We, we've just been <laughs> corresponding <laughs> via email and phone. But my, I have a friend, uh, Christine Horton, who lives in, in the UK, and she knows that we do this podcast. And she said, you know, I have this friend who wrote a book. She lives in Portugal, and she wrote a book about how to not starve in Portugal. <laughs> and uh, so that's how we connected. And then come to find out you've started this other podcast called Saudade. Uh, Stories of Saudade, yep. and you can tell us a little bit about that. And then you have another podcast called Pie, yeah. which is all about food, mostly Portuguese. So, I mean, there's just so much to cover. So why don't you just <laughs> start by telling yeah, us. Start from the beginning. Did, yeah. How did you end up in Portugal? Well, let me see. So I came here when I was a tiny kid, just for a holiday, and loved it. But I was only seven, and it was, you know, it was in the 70s. I didn't remember but then I came back with art school we did a field trip a painting field trip in uh, 1991 and I just went oh my god this place is amazing <laughs> and that was um, and that was in the Douro and we went in the Douro Valley painting and we were in Porto and I just loved it but then I went back to England you know, we were only there for like two weeks went home got on with my life and kind of forgot about it and then a few years later I um I met my husband, who happened to be Portuguese. (laughs) I went, oh, that'll do. And so I ended up here. I came here and I moved here in 99. And then once I'd been here for a year or two, I was looking through um, a few old boxes of stuff and I found a sketchbook. And in the front page of one of them, I'd found it was from Portugal, that Portugal field trip. And I'd scribbled into this this front page, I'm going to live here one day. And I'd completely... Yeah, it was really, it was really oh my god. So uh, so I ended up here and we lived for a long time on the other side of the river in Azeitão, which is near mm-hmm. Sesimbra, which you mm-hmm. know Angela. Yes, we and were we neighbors, neighbors for a while time, it turns out, <laughs> even though we didn't know it. And I lived about 300 meters from my mother-in-law which meant that I had to learn the language really, really fast because there weren't any uh, neighbours. I didn't have any friends around who were foreigners. I didn't, there weren't any foreigners around in, in the village in those days that I'd met anyway. The first foreigners I met nearby was about five years after I'd, 
I'd lived there, so um, I had to learn Portuguese. So that and that was the greatest weapon I've ever learned is is learning a language properly. And so, and then I just had this, you know, this Portuguese life ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how did you learn? Did you take some classes, or was literally no. just immersion? That's total just immersion. Total, yeah. total immersion. I yeah. came here. I'd I'd read a book before I left when I was pregnant, so I had pregnant brain. Um, <laughs> that was called Portuguese in three months, and I don't know how I managed it, but I managed to sort of the very very basics in about a week and came here thinking I'll be fine <laughs> and you know how Portuguese is it's all smushed together like English and you're like oh my god and it took uh-huh. me years to understand certain things like the typical line se Deus quiser oh yeah nothing I mean what does what does it mean I'm like what does she <laughs> think my mother-in-law would say I'd say see you tomorrow se Deus quiser yeah. Um, That's right. And Every, I took yeah. ages understanding it because it doesn't sound like Sudeosh Kizir. It sounds like Sudeosh <laughs> Kizir. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it was total, total immersion because if I wanted to talk to anybody, uh, my husband was always working as a total workaholic. So I'm, I had to have quite great long conversations with my mother-in-law and, you know, uh, she's a real mother-in-law, Portuguese style, so like to be involved and stuff. And also we talked about food all the time because we had, that was our sort of common language. Right. That helps, um, yeah. So that was how I learned, really. Well, and this guy must be pretty phenomenal for you to make this kind of commitment and be immersed. <laughs> and like, I mean, I want to, I want, I mean, I'm dying to meet you, but I really want to meet your husband now. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I'm also very rash because I just went, ah, sod it. I'm going. I just, I just <laughs> love him so much anyway. But no, he's great. And he's a, uh, he's a historian as well. So he's very interesting, oh, wow. and very clever. Okay. And, uh, and he's very, he's really useful to know. He, I can sub- ask him anything. So why did so-and-so happen in 1966? Blah, 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 which is very handy to have around. <laughs> And so do you speak Portuguese with him or English mostly? No, only English, yeah. Because he okay. I met him when he was he was doing his doctorate in England. And so we've always had a rule as well that with the kids we only speak English with them at home because oh. everything outside of the house is going to be in Portuguese. Portuguese. That's right. Oh, school, beautiful. And, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. So okay, so different. so you've been talking with your mother in law about food and yeah. then did is was the book the first thing you had this idea to write how not to starve in Portugal no I mean the, I wrote how not to starve in 2016 because it was oh, kind of, okay I was asked to do that um, by a publisher because I have um I write um, a column in a newspaper and I've written I mean I started off when I asked I'd been here for about five years I was suffering massive culture shock and culture fatigue and I needed to sort of express it. And, and as you know, Angela, all I, I do a lot of just taking the mickey out of things. And so I wrote a blog for about three years, every single day, nice. wrote and draw, drew, because my real profession is I'm an illustrator. And oh, so cool. That's what I trained as. And okay. so um, I would draw and write something really taking the piss out of Portuguese <laughs> habits, cultural <laughs> things, you know. And I had a massive, a massive following of of lovers and haters from that, which I, <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. And over the years, I've been, I've sort of worked in various places, done like bits of pieces of work and things. And then I, and then I have a newspaper column. So that's how uh, my that publisher found me and asked me to write a book. And it was, and it was the most obvious was it's it's basically my life, how my life was in the first fifteen years of living here of just, oh my God, they're crazy. <laughs> so what so, was the name of your blog? Uh, Vitriolica. 
that I was this kind of character called Vitriolica, who was this kind of archetypal English twit who kind of um, <laughs> thinks she knows everything and you know looks down on all people around her. Oh, these Portuguese are rather odd, aren't they? Kind of thing. <laughs> um, and years before, and about seven years ago, my friend uh, and I, my friend Celia Pedroso, who's a journalist, we got together and wrote a book called Eat Portugal. That's the other one. Um, okay. Which because we were um, we were in a bookshop one day. And Sally looked at me, she said, there's, there's a German couple over there. They're looking for a book in English about Portuguese food. And there isn't one. Mm-hmm. Shall we write one? <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so we did. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's kept, us, kept, us, kept us busy for a year. And then we, and that's still on the shelves. We're in fifth edition now, I think. Now it's nice. in French and Spanish too. And, and then even before that, about 10 or 12 years ago, I wrote a book called O Livro das Receitas Nurgentas which is a book of disgusting recipes for kids. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and they are disgusting. The food is nice, but it either looks disgusting or it has a disgusting name. Just so, so like, like what? Give an example. Oh, goodness me. Uh, rotten teeth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know that um, honeycomb candy that um, is like caramel and it's got lots of, it's got baking soda in it. So it gets all puff up, puffed up and airy. Mm-hmm. And that looks like rotten teeth when you break it up. Um, and there were rat's brains and buried frogs, which was, um, <laughs> buried frogs was uh, toad in the hole, I think. Yeah. So that was fun. So you can say that I'm a little tiny bit obsessed with food. <laughs> Well, then it makes it's it's perfect for this this podcast. So yeah, because we're you, all obsessed with Portuguese food, so oh God, we're so right there with you. So it's when you good. got here, so did you have like a favorite thing, whether it was a pastry or a dish, like right away? And then there was there something that you absolutely yeah. hated and still hate first to this day. Thing, or? Well, the first thing that appealed to me, I was shocked to be appealed by, was bacalhau abrage. I love it. Would make huge piles of it. I mean, she can't just make like food for two people or something. It's always about 10. And so there's this mountain of bacalhau on the table in front of us. And I just loved it. I was horrified, though, at the time by by cozida portuguesa. Really? Wobbling, blubbery, hideous, gray mass of kind of you know just gray meat and things yeah. now it's one of my favorite things i love cozido but it's not it's not for the way it looks <laughs> <laughs> well it's boiled i mean that yeah. is you know it's your boiled meats and yeah. ears and sausages mm-hmm. and you exactly. know, your and it's sometimes if you're lucky you get a snout popping out <laughs> oh, <my goodness>. <laughs> <laughs> so and i one of my missions is I'm, i sort of fight a battle between because um, you know how popular Lisbon is at the moment, and it's very popular with all the travel guides and travel journalists and everything. But they paint a picture. They're all saying, oh, how amazing the food is. But they, what they're talking about is, is the prettified stuff that they see and the things that the five-star chefs are making. And they don't tend to talk about things like cozido or like feijoadas and migas and things, um, which for me are much more interesting than chefified kind of yeah. Um, right. Workings of a Nalieira. And so I kind of fight a battle where I want people to try to, to know that these things are good, but they might they might be shocked by the ugliness of it. So because, you know, if you have to find a really proper dish of feijoada in, in a tashka, it ain't pretty. 
and no. it will have little bits of snout you know like you sometimes you find a nostril in it mm-hmm. and it's like you know it's not pretty but it's the most delicious thing you can eat mm-hmm. so I like to I like to sort of demystify things that um Portuguese food for foreigners it's because it makes me laugh mostly <laughs> <laughs> well you know that's funny too just a bit of a side tangent at least here out here in California one of the challenges has been on having a successful Portuguese restaurant and the yeah. ones that have been successful are quite modern. Yeah. Um, it, it would be, I think it would be a real challenge to have a sort of home style cooking restaurant Definitely. because things Definitely. just look odd. Right. Exactly. And, and people out here uh, in California, I mean, unless you're, it's the real foodie types that seek out the weird things to, to sure. eat, but those are yeah. few and far between. And um, it's so funny yeah. because those things aren't actually that weird. It's just that we in America, oh, in, in England and America have become so kind of prissy yeah. um, about what we eat that, are, you right. know, a fish doesn't have a head or a tail. It just comes as a no, play, exactly. right? <laughs> I mean, I go absolutely mad uh, with English people who come here and who won't eat a fish unless it's been filleted. It's like, oh, so yeah. my favorite thing is to give them a plate of jacinzinhos and carapalzinhos that are just whole, <laughs> whole fried horse mackerel and eat them the whole thing in front of them. Right. Head, tail and all. Everything. Yeah. It's, and it's so good. Just crunching <laughs> their little head off. So crunch. I mean, that it is like a French fry. I yeah, mean, exactly. completely fried. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Delicious. It is delicious. Mm. So. And and so then how did you start with the podcasts, with the stories of Savad and then also Pi? Well, let me think. So I've I've been working with Marco on various projects for the about last five years. We've written books together, uh, made cartoons, animated things, drawn cartoons, lots of different things. And for years, he's a fanatical um, radio person, as am I. I grew up just listening to Radio 4. I don't know if you know Radio 4, but it's just, it's a spoken word radio station from the BBC. So we both love radio. And I've been listening to podcasts for years and years since podcasts became a thing because it was a way of keeping connected to Britain and America and Englishness and things. So, and I said, you have to listen to this American life. You have to listen to this American life. Yeah, yeah, when I've got time, when I've got time. Finally, finally listen to it. And he went, yeah, we're making a podcast. <laughs> so, and, that was, and that was the start of the thinking about it and what it might be and things. And there are podcasts in Portugal. There's lots of podcasts in Portugal, but most of them are to do with, they're, just, they're interviewing already very well-known people. Um, there's a lot of like radio shows that are just rehashed as podcasts. And we couldn't find any other podcasts that were storytelling and telling real stories like we do and we both like telling stories we both we've both written a lot and uh, tell a lot of stories and so telling real stories of real people of real Portugal was the was the perfect idea so Mm. that's what we do and he's a journalist Um, I'm not a journalist at all I'm, I'm a writer but I'm not a journalist so he does all the really hard work of um, finding people, talking to them, and he does also most of, most of the editing. So uh, when you hear the wonderful editing in our podcast, it's usually not me. <laughs> it's usually him. Well, I think that's one of the reasons that Angela and I started this podcast. Yeah. Is because, I mean, we have, obviously, it's a, this is a different turn. We're here in the United States, and we're talking... Yeah. We're always talking about Portugal. We're always talking about our food. We're always talking about our culture and everything that it entails. 
And when you look at podcasts, because again, I listen to podcasts and so does Angela, and there was that missing, that missing piece Mm -hmm. of someone here talking about our food, our culture. You know, it's, it's that little missing link. And also talking about others that are out there that are Portuguese or have a love of Portugal um, are doing wonderful things that we want to make sure we bring it to light. Exactly. It's great. And and the thing is about Portugal and Portugueseness is it's such an underknown thing um, in in the rest of Europe. A lot of people think that Portugal's just like Spain. Um, And, and here, and anyway, you wouldn't, if you, if you say to somebody that there's an enormous Portuguese diaspora in, in America, you will, uh, Really? You know, yeah. <laughs> and even in America, there's probably a lot of people that don't know. There's lots of Portuguese people and Portuguese um, as, um, descendants of people from the, uh, from the islands and from the mainland. Mm-hmm. So it's really nice to tell people about it. And it's really nice that you're having this lovely kind of conversation across the whole country as well with, being on both, with you two being on separate, um, separate coasts. It's hilarious. Yeah, well, and it's been, well, it's been great too, because, you know, with the popularity of of Portugal being in the mainstream news as a popular destination to visit nowadays, I mean, the number of American people or, you know, friends and colleagues that have said, hey, we've decided to go to Portugal. Do you have any recommendations of places for us to go? And we're going to be there for three days. Well, first of all, you're not going to be there long enough. But (laughs) um, so, you know, and I know that Maria gets the same kind of request. So it was kind of one of those things where, you know, okay, now I have this draft email of all these, you know, places to go in Portugal. But then on the other hand, it's like, but you know what, you live in a great area where there's tons of Portuguese restaurants that are really good, and there's a bakery. And and so, and so they don't know about it, but then also find that people in California don't always know all the places in California to go. And people on the east, and same goes for the east coast. So it's, it's really an awareness thing. I think that's the one of the biggest things for us too, is just, people, do you know how many amazing restaurants and bakeries and other uh, things are out there that are, that are Portuguese that are not too far from you that you could go get? And so um, that's been a, a huge eye-opener, I think, for, for us as well as a lot of other people. Right. So it's, it's been a great experience. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, one of the things I love about the Stories of Salvad podcast is that it does not necessarily demystify, but, you know, like there was that one about... I forget the name of it, but it was the guy with no arm and it was, yeah, the the street was named after him. And you think, well, what does that mean? And how did, how did this street become named that? And then you told the story of how it was and you're like, Oh, that's really cool. (laughs) Or the theater, like the history behind the theater and that one town and the role. It's fascinating because it's fascinating for me as well. Mm -hmm. Like Mark will go and find a story and find someone to tell him a story and he'll learn something, but there's things that so much more that I learn each one in each one in things that he's always known because he's grown up with it. And I I went, well, I'll go, what, what's that? So I'll go and like investigate a little bit more for myself or just ask him a lot of questions. And it's fascinating. And I love the fact that, you know, this is a tiny country and people just tend not to be that interested in in it and in us. Um, I count I count me as one of them almost now. Um, <laughs> You've been there long enough. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, people just aren't interested. I mean, in in general, and it's so lovely to speak to people and go and show some interest in their life and and mm-hmm. and say, what did you do? How did you get here? What um, what did you do when you were young? 
NDP because it's very easy to forget that it's not that long ago since Portugal was a very poor country. It was on, you know, it was yeah. under this dictatorship right. and, and right. things were completely different. And it's moved on so quickly. I mean, if you look at Portugal now, it's on a par with the rest of Europe in yeah. almost everything. Whereas 30 years ago or 40 years ago, it was a completely you know, it was very poor. That's right. Um, and 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 decades and in other places, and very oppressed. Yeah. And the amount of change that's happened in the last forty years is incredible. And the change that I've seen, just in the almost twenty years that I've been here, it, it blows my mind. Really, so it's fascinating to talk to people who lived through other lives and other things like a lot of people we speak to were born in the 30s and 40s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and saw other things and lived in other, a different kind of poverty and and lived through it and and are still with us so it's fascinating love it mm-hmm. well, well I, while we were talking I went on to Amazon to see if I could I could get the eat Portugal book all and- right it's all sold out here in the United States. So you need to get more out here. <laughs> well, we shall. I don't know at the moment. Um, I don't know how it is, but we're just about to produce the, the, the Spanish versions about to come out. So prob- yeah. when, when that one comes out, there'll probably be new, some more, more of the other ones, the English awesome. and French. So That's awesome. <laughs> and that way we can promote it and have people. Oh my God, that would be so good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, that that's, you know, that's important. It's important to do that, to support each other. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, no, this is something that Maria and I feel very strongly about. As soon as another book comes out, we we go get it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, the next one I write, I shall send it your way. I'd love, Do you to, have... get, I'd love to get the English version because the, the um, How Not to Starve in Portugal is actually the is the translation back into English of the Portuguese version that I wrote, um, it, which is Como Não Morrer de Fome em Portugal. And, but I would love to get that on sale in America. Oh, God. Yeah. So, well, that would be wonderful. I'm going to start using it. You sent me the PDF. And yeah. uh, so I'm going to start, people start asking me, do you have any tips for, uh, you know, what to eat for? <laughs> I'm just going to send them the link to that. You know, <laughs> the this. whole thing is, is the even thought of thinking that you would be even able to starve in Portugal. No, exactly. Not exactly. Right? The, the story is, is mostly, is like, how is like every chapter is based on a food item, um, but it just it's all about the social mores and the culture and how people deal with like everything. But everything always comes back to food. Oh, like always. And, uh, you know, you, I talk about the kissing culture and and how people are with each other and, you know, just this really funny habits mm-hmm. of Portugal. And uh, but it's always food. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about. Um, the podcast pie and some of the things that you talk about there. Well, that's an, that's another, I've always wanted to make that podcast like for years I've been wanting to make that podcast, but I just didn't have the, I just didn't have the, the refined idea, nor did I have the editing, the audio editing skills before until I started working on stories of Saudad and, and um, sort of had, it was thrown in at the deep end sort of trying to learn because I basically don't edit stories of Saudad that much, but I do end up learning how to do it. So in the end I went, sod it I'm going to do my own and so I just I just find a topic and I and I run with it so if just you know occurs to me I'll talk about oh, the word pie or I'll talk about a certain kind of pudding that's occurred to me this week and it just it's just fun because it's completely free form I've got no I've got no rules that's the good thing about podcasts isn't yes, it You've got there no is rules. no rules no, yeah, there are so no rules good. and it's totally your own TV. 
Mm. You're writing a TV show or a radio show, whatever, you know, you've got to stick to the 30 minutes. You've got to do this. You can't swear. You've got to be nice, you know, all blah, 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 blah. With a podcast, I can make a podcast that's two minutes long um, or half an hour long or three hours long if I want to. Lots of expletives in it. I mean. (laughs) Exactly. Has to. (laughs) (laughs) So do you do you also cook? Did your mother-in-law teach you how to make the bacalhau braj that she um, she doesn't, she's never taught me. I just watch, I observe because my, um, my mother is a cook as well. She's a, my mother was a, a professional cook and, uh-oh. um, in her so youth. food is in your blood. I mean, oh, there food's no definitely in my blood. Yeah. And yeah. my mother never taught me because I'm unteachable. I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible teacher <laughs> myself, but I'm unteachable. Um, but I observe and I watch and I just, well, I, that is your way of learning. I mean, yes. that is how, that's how I learn. Uh, yeah. Most of the time I learn and then I do it myself, but that yeah. is the for me, that's a that's a wonderful way to learn. I oh, mean. it's and it's the easiest way. I mean, I I teach myself everything. I teach myself, you know, and I'll see something. I'll go right. I bet I know how to make that. And I'll go home and I'll try it. And it doesn't come out quite right, but I work out what's wrong and then I'll make it myself. So, for instance, for the all of the recipes in Eat Portugal, because the Eat Portugal is like a guidebook and a recipe book. So it's for it's for when people are here, they can use it as a glossary. So if they don't know what um what an alieda is because nobody on the menu will tell you what an alieda is we we explain what an alieda <laughs> that's is that's one of my favorite sauces oh, i love it oh, yeah gorgeous my like absolute it. favorite is yep. farinheira though really i love farinheira i don't know why because it took me years to like it i think i like them both equally i mean yeah I can, it depends because the farinheira you can do stuff with it. Like an alieda is lovely because you can just eat it. Um, but with a farinheira, you can add it to other things. Like ma- you add it to scrambled eggs and it's just... Yes. <gasps> oh, that's my favorite. <laughs> that's so good. Yes, that's delicious. This. Yes. We have talked about this. Yes. It's so for the, for the recipes, uh, I, I went, oh my God, I have to I have to make these. Because we, we, you know, we made them all the recipes and they're all our recipes, all our families or our friends' recipes. And we had to make them for the book. So I had to teach myself uh, quickly how to do things so for instance I, I taught myself how to make migas uh, myself which is one of my favorite things as well the big stodgy kind so how did you um, make just a little side note how did you make them because I've I have had them a couple of different ways and right. are they always like once it was with spinach once it was with uh, kale so those, so, are, those are migas from up north so they'll be they'll be crumbled up broa with yes. cabbage and you just fry it down with garlic and um it'll be you'll use ready cooked cabbage it's very fun, like the cabbage you use for cultivated and you just shred it and cook it up with some crumbled in broa and some garlic and some azate and that's and that's it but alentejo migas are like it's more like a sausage in itself um really yeah. Oh my God. It's amazing. And it's one of those things you go, what? That looks disgusting. It's because it's, it's just basic, basically mushed up bread. Right. So you take, you've got some good proper sourdough bread left over um, that you can't eat as bread anymore. You break it all up, but first you put into your pan, you chop up some chorizo and some tocino, some bacon, um, all the very fatty bits and you fry them. And so you render all the fat out of those um into into your frying pan you take out the meat but you leave all the fat in there in and you've got this lovely orangey colored fat in the in the pan Mm. then you pour in a cup of water and then you start and then you chuck in the bread the you know just broken up Uh stale bread and you start mashing it with a fork 
and it uh, over time and you do, you're still doing this over the heat and over time it sort of it, it sort of turns itself and the, sort of the gluten comes out a bit more and it just turns into this wonderful homogenous lump of bread <laughs> but it's flavored with all of those flavors from you know you could have put in some morcella and some chorizo and some farinera and uh -huh. bacon and it comes out and you you know you serve it as like a side dish like as if it was like potato or rice or something and you eat it with with meat oh my god now, you know so. what's funny is we have i grew up with uh, a surda which uh -huh. a surda is your bread soup yeah. and i would always let the a surda the bread completely soak up all that right you know, the fluid all the the, the sure. broth in it and I, I love that. I love that whole thing of bread soup. So now we're going to be leaving Portugal for a little bit here. And okay. we're going now to Italy. Okay. And we're in Florence. Right. And we see, we sit down at the table and you see a soup that's called twice cooked. Okay. And so I turned to the wonderful gentleman and I said, what is this? Explain to me. Yeah. And he said, it's bread that's soaked <laughs> in, you know, the broth and all of that stuff. Right. And it, it goes back into the pan and they add into it beans and little bits of meat in it and all of that. And they just, it, so that is it. That is the soup. It's twice, yeah. um, well, I suppose if you took migish and then re-soaked it, you could make some migish. Yes, yes, that's exactly it. Wow! So it's it's a whole. It, I was eating it, and I looked at the man, and I'm like, oh my god, it was amazing. With of course a little bit of olive oil on top to drizzle it all, and I ate it. And he said, well, it's usually someone's meal. I mean, that yes. soup is someone's meal. And I'm like, yes, I can see that. Even yeah. though I had ordered an, something else, you know, oh, you know, God. plate one, plate two, plate three, whatever. And the tyranny of soup. Exactly. <laughs> and it was just amazing. So the thought oh. of that, I've never made that that way. Well, you must. It's right. so easy once you've got the, once you've got the, because you know how Portuguese cookery is. There's no fancy techniques. It's just, right. you know, once you've seen it done, you can usually work it out for yourself. And so once you've worked out how you do the mashing down thing and having the right amount of bread to the right amount of fat, it is so delicious. And then you kind of, you could either sort of slice it up or people just take a spoonful of it and stuff. Cause it's, it's quite solid, you know, oh, uh -huh. it's so good. You have to try it. <laughs> I uh, am so trying that. Oh my God, seriously, right? Like I'm just sitting here to sort of jaw open, like, oh my <laughs> God, that just sounds so amazing. Do you know what reminded me? You were talking about that twice cooked soup. You just made me think of Sopa de Pedro, which is my oh, absolute yeah. favorite soup when it's a good soup. You know how when you get a, a good minestrone, it's great, but it's like uh -huh. a, a rubbish minestrone. It's like, eh. yeah. it's the same yeah. as Sopa de Pedro. When you've got a great Sopa de Pedro, it's amazing. And if it's rubbish, it's just like everything's gone in it. They've mixed it up. They've boiled it up. And there's your Sopa de Pedro. But a really good Sopa de Pedro has got so it's got farinera in it. And the farinata has has uh, is all chveta. I can't. How do I say chveta? It's like all oh, dissolved. It's yeah. all dissolved. Yeah. yeah, and it's thickened the soup. And oh my god, uh, that's good. You know what? <laughs> I've never thought about putting farinata in a soup, and I'm oh, so going so to do good. that now. Because do you like do you like dumplings? Brilliant. Dum it yes. turns into yes. like a kind of a dumpling. So when you make oh. it with like when you make. Um, 
favas com enchidos. Like I, that's one of my favorite things. Favas with sausages and meats and stuff. And the, if you put bits of farinheira in that, it's like having favas with dumplings. It's so nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It's lunch time for me. Oh, <laughs> All right, now I have to take a trip to Trade Right Market. Yes. Go pick, just stock up on some Fudingeta and I make it. God damn it. <laughs> oh my God. I, okay, I have to go to Portugal again because this, you do. I mean, every time we have one of these conversations, Maria, you get hungry. It's um, just like, damn it, I want to go. Well, you know, I'm counting down the days. I'm going in May. I'm going twice, but not to, to the mainland. I'm going to the Azores. Oh, okay. Um, I'm, going in May and then after I'm going in July mm-hmm. and they're both for weddings but in May my husband and I are going to take some time you know to just eat. be together and just eat and <laughs> to just enjoy everything there um mm-hmm. and of course I'm counting down the days I'm counting down the days I bet you are um because you. everything yeah. is just so everything tastes different everything tastes better um it just it just is i mean you can't yeah it just um yes i truly am i am i am very lucky that i'm able to go back as often as i do and coming here to the i'm on the east coast and the east coast i mean in comparison to the west coast i have so many different portuguese restaurants and some of them like hit it on the mark and they're fantastic and other ones are like pseudo wannabe portuguese food (laughs) that you know you know this it's it's not it's just because you throw a charisse in it or linguisa in it does not make it portuguese (laughs) you know so it just i it there is that but when you go back yeah it, it is you know, our butter is just amazing. Our breads are baked so well. So our good. vegetables are so fresh. Our, you know, our meats are so good. I, I mean, it's just, yeah, so everything have, is just amazing. So I'm curious, Lucy, do you go back to, are you from London or where, where in the UK are you from? I grew up in Devon, which is in the Southwest. Okay. Um, Do you go back very often? No, I hardly at all. It's terrible. Oh, really? Just because we're always so busy and the kids and, you know, it's it's hard. Yeah. We used to go back for about a month a year when the baby, when they were babies, but they're teenagers now and school yeah. and university and stuff. It's really complicated. And, and Rui and I are really always just like really busy with work and finishing yeah. things and books and projects. So we get, we, we go at least once a year. Oh, that's um, good. And then... We'll try and fit in a weekend in London here and there, sort of thing. Yeah. But but I don't miss it though. I've, I'm just at home now, and I'm and it's so much more fun to me. Just sort of still. I mean, I've been here 18 years, and I'm still discovering stuff and just you know learning and getting entrenched well, in things. You know, I I love the story that you told us in the beginning. How when you moved in there, you found your book, and <laughs> on that book, you had said, "I'm going to live here one day." Yeah. I mean, talk about making. Um, a dream reality or making it happen. You yeah, but it was complete. I mean, it was complete luck. I mean, it yeah. really was. It was. Well, it's, you know what? I mean, and it could have been that you looked for a man who was Portuguese. <laughs> no, he definitely just walked into my path. <laughs> it, was, it was completely <laughs> accidental. Um, it was it meant was, to be. It was. Yeah, it was. It was. So, but you know, well, I just, I just, I'm not afraid of certain things, and the thought of just, you know. 
Portugal's not Australia. I'm only at like a two hour flight back from England. And if I didn't right. like it, I could always go back, you know. Yeah. Um, well, cause I was going to ask like, do you, you know, so what Maria was de- describing about, you know, yes, she has a access to sure. a plethora of, of restaurants and, and stores, yeah. but when you go back, it's, you know, there's just no comparing. I was wondering if you have sort of a similar experience. Cause I do know that there are Portuguese restaurants in in the UK, at least in London. I don't know about the rest yeah, of the Yeah, but I mean, and you can't go to London actually without bumping into somebody you know in Port- from Portugal. It's, it's mad. Oh, it's I mean, really, it's, it's really it's weird. We, we'll go at, you know, occasionally we'll go at Easter or Carnival or something to London and half of Lisbon is there. And we literally <laughs> have not been in London for a weekend when I haven't seen somebody I know. I mean, I've even been standing in a queue in a shop, like an H&M or something, and standing next to me was somebody I'd been speaking to three weeks before about something. Oh, hello, Sophia. How are you doing? I mean, it's mad. But also you can go into any restaurant in in London and there's Portuguese people working in there. And so all of a sudden, and I'll start speaking Portuguese to them. They're like, oh my God, you're, you're Portuguese. Well, I'm not Portuguese, I'm English, but I speak Portuguese. Oh my God, it's so nice, you know. <laughs> um, but I don't miss it because I'm always there for such a short time. I'm catching up on eating like crappy English crisps and chocolates and stuff that I don't get here. So, and then I come back weighing about three kilos extra. Is the majority of your family still in the UK? Yeah, all of them, all, all of them. So, I mean, I've got a tiny family, um, but um, yeah, my, my sister and her son live in Bristol. My parents still live where I grew up in Devon. My uncle lives in, in London. And so it's, that's my, that's pretty much my family. I'm a more distant family everywhere else, but I'm the only one in Portugal. Mm. Um, so, um, some of the questions, some of the fun questions we like to ask our guests, uh, yeah. one of them is, uh, your first food memory. So, I mean, I'm going to ask you two memories, right? Because okay. you are from the UK and your mom being in yeah. uh, a cook, you know, mm-hmm. what, so what was your first food memory there? But then what was your first Portuguese food memory? Yes. Okay. So That's yeah. A very good one. Let me think my first food memory as a kid growing up, golly, well, I think weirdly <laughs> well hot milk I used to love I can't I cannot stand milk now but I used to demand <laughs> milk from my mother mommy mommy I want hot milk okay but food wise it would have been things like sausages and liver and onions and things oh, oh my gosh as a kid really yeah loved it loved it oh, loved how it funny um yeah. and then I when Portugal Portugal I think the first The first, oh, I know what it was. When we came here in 91 with art school, we would go off into the Douro Valley and we'd be received by the vineyard owners. And they'd be kind of like English families, but they were mostly, they were Portuguese. They were English families from a long time ago, but with English names and they spoke English. But they'd serve us up this amazing, amazing food. And now being art students, half of that, half of us, not me included, were vegetarians. So the first farm we went to served up a huge spread of like stews and things. There must have been a fish. Well, I didn't know what they were at the time, but there was one. And there was one called chicken foot stew. <laughs> it, was basically a, it was like a bean stew, but with maybe loads of chicken feet. And we thought they were just joking. Oh, it's a funny name for this thing, you see. And so as you know, so they'd be ladling it out with a corncher to us. There were like about 20 of us. And as the stew went down in the pot, <laughs> there emerged these chicken feet, <laughs> 
which and the vegetarians. I mean, one almost actually fainted <laughs> next to me. It was hilarious. Oh, um, my God. So that was fun. But then the next bit that was even more crucial to me was we stayed in one farm and we, and we joined in with the Vindima, um, which was the most fantastic night of my life, pretty much. We danced <laughs> in the grapes and they, you know, they was some, there was um, a guy with an accordion and, and oh God, it was always wonderful. a party. Always. Uh, it was so good. And they gave us for dinner, bacalhau con todge, which was just boiled bacalhau, boiled potatoes, mm-hmm. boiled chickpeas, boiled cabbage, hot black olives even. Did you have a hard-boiled egg? And hard-boiled egg. Oh, yeah. was. It was amazing. And everybody yeah. was sitting there going, oh my God, what is this crap? I mean, literally, they were like sitting around going, but what is this boiled salty fish? And, and uh? Don't, they just didn't get it. And I uh-huh. was in heaven. I just, I realized that I could, I could take this, put this bottle of azate and just drench. Yes. yes. And oh. mix it all together. And, oh, oh, so oh, good. Yeah. So that's amazing. That's, that's a good one. That's a good even one. Even today, like my, my mother, uh, because as you know, I think it was the same in the States for a long time. When I was growing up, olive oil was sold in the pharmacy for like for cleaning your ears out and like little <laughs> tiny bottles. Oh and so God, to, really? even today, olive oil is like a luxury. And it's, you know, it must cost like eight, eight pounds or something for a decent bottle and upwards. And so when I came here to find that I could buy olive oil for like half that price. And the, the thing is that you use it to drench stuff. It was yeah. just such a revelation. My mother comes over and she still can't quite get the, the, <laughs> the hang of this. And I'm like, no, no, really, it's all right. Just just use the olive oil on everything. I, I love olive oil. Mm. So, so the olive oil was not used in cooking over there? No, in the seventies. No, it, okay. it was, it was only for, like there we had, we had a handful of like, um, the equivalent of Julia Child. Like we had, um, oh God, I can't think of a single one now, but, um, writers who would, were trying to sort of, um, explain that there was a, a different world out there, um, of food, but you know, we didn't have certain things, you know, um, there was some Italian food that was a bit rubbish and um, foreign food was was rare in the 80s. Thank God everything changed. But um, but yeah, you didn't you wouldn't have had as a habit. Nobody in, as a habit would have had olive oil in the house at home in the 70s unless you're incredibly rich. Interesting. So, interesting. That's yeah, really interesting. I mean, I'm trying to think of like a, a, an analogy here. I mean, you still don't use it for cooking, but it's almost like if you told somebody, no, go ahead and use rubbing alcohol to make a cocktail, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you obviously wouldn't, but it's exactly, you know, the thought of buying olive oil in a pharmacy, that's just yeah. so, you know, different. I mean, think it's a different time. Yeah. Different just a time. Different yeah. Time. Completely different it's just time. It's funny yeah. to, to try and wrap your Oh, and the other, other thing that's really funny and different is eggs because you know how many eggs go into a Portuguese cake. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Everything. Yes. The more and the better. Because my mother grew up post-war, she was born a year after the war ended, and uh, rationing carried on well into the 1950s. So when you were growing, when she was growing up, um, you didn't use eggs. I mean, eggs were still seen as, even though they weren't rationed into the 60s, they were still they still felt like they were because you were so used. To, if you haven't used something for years and years and years, you don't just suddenly start using things. So a normal cake would take two eggs well a normal cake in portugal takes about 46 (laughs) 
And so I'll sometimes say, you know, when I first started living here, I said, I'd say to my mother on the phone, I said, oh, yeah, I made a cake today. It's like, eh, 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 eh. And, um, and I put six eggs in it. And she'll say, what? What do you mean you put six eggs in it? Um, and she's absolutely horrified because eggs, you know, because that that kind of lasting ghost of, of rationing. And um, and here I can say to my mother-in-law, how many eggs did you put in that then? She goes, and she'll literally say 26. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I was going to say there are some recipes where it'd be 12 or 26. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, and once she said, do you know Molotov? It's like a soft Yes, that's my favourite. It's one of my favourites. Because I don't like, um, I don't like Molotov and Dostyov. This the, the yolky stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I like caramel Molotov when it's just completely, it's just drenched in caramel and there's no no, you know, it's just the egg whites. No. Mm, so nice. I was, and I said to her one day, so, oh, I really like this. Can you tell me how to make it? Oh yes. But honestly, it's so difficult. She said, I said, well, oh, she said, well, I once took, um, I once in an afternoon made three and only the third one came out. The finally it came out well, uh, because I finally worked out how to do it. I think she wasn't cooking it in a bain-marie or something. I can't remember. And I said, okay, so you made three of those in an afternoon. So how many eggs does each one take? Oh, 12. Yes, so that's exactly it. She got through 36 eggs without blinking. <laughs> to me, that's just so extravagant. It's hilarious. <laughs> and it's just another day in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, but I'm kind of slowly coming around to like very eggy things, but I still can't. I I still don't see the appeal of like eating dos 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 the ovs the ovade or things like that. It's just, mm. just egg yolk paste with sugar. Ugh. Yeah. So I actually have I haven't tried those, so I, I still have yet to try them. And I, I love eggs any any way, any you know, literally any way. Yeah. Uh, so I always I always wondered if I would like those because it's a it's a different taste, right? I it, think it's genetic. I think you're gonna like them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, I think you will too, honey. <laughs> um so you so you kind of went look to that. Is there anything else uh that you found that you know um you, yeah that's certain things I mean, in terms of tastes and flavors I, I'll eat anything but in terms of textures I'm a bit there I mean I don't really like sucking on a pig's nose very much <laughs> right. and I don't like cartilage very much it's not because I think it's disgusting I just don't enjoy kind of that kind of crunch the and, texture yeah the texture is yucky um there are certain things I mean a sore when it's really sloppy I really don't enjoy that so I'm much more of a texture person in terms of flavor um, I'll eat anything. I will just eat anything and enjoy most of it. It's just, a, it's just for me, it's a texture thing. I'm a bit weird about, uh, but yeah, no, no I'll eat anything. I'm, I'm totally with you. And, uh, you know, even if it's like, um, uh, we talk about polvu a lot on, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. on the podcast and, you know, Maria's absolutely right. If it's cooked the right way, then it's yeah. nice and soft. And, but if it's yeah. a little overcooked, it's too rubbery. And, and yeah. unfortunately I've had too many overcooked, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, octopus. And so it's not something that I, I tend to well, grab. Fi- my first octopus that I ever cooked, it was such a trial because I was doing this thing of, like, of trying to get the tentacles to curl up. So I was, you know, holding it by the head and dunking it into, boiling water for seconds and then taking it out so that, and you do that several times so that the tentacles curl up and stay curled up and just the horrible feeling of like holding its squishy head was kind of gross but yeah I don't care yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. It, you know when um I was always intimidated by by it to begin yeah. with 
But once I got past it, one of the things I do, I don't care if it's a small, cute little, you know, yeah. octopus and all, and yeah. you cut the hood and around the hood, you take yeah. out the beak, all that stuff. I don't yeah. care. I just yeah. cut off the tentacles. I do yeah. not care about whatever that middle part is going exactly. on here. It is beyond something. And all <laughs> I'm going to eat is the tentacles. Anyway, <laughs> I'm not, I don't want to eat its head. I don't, you know, it's just, uh, so once I got past that and I, was able to figure out, okay, this is very much like a scallop. If yeah. I, the way I cook a scallop is the same way I'm going to cook this. Because yeah. I've had people telling you, oh, you have to hit it with a mallet. No. You, you have to bang it to tenderize it. Oh so, my God. Uh, so the first time around, I'm banging it away. Oh my yeah. God, I pulverized the pork. So you just got <laughs> smooshed up to food. Oh my God, it was disgusting. Yeah. I tell you what, I had some, some people just freeze it here and freezing and it, tenderizing it. That's it. That's yeah. the key. The, te- yeah. the tenderizing it is freezing it and that yeah. tenderizes it. Yeah. But that was after, you know, being told all kinds of different ways <laughs> Of doing it. It's it's really, you know, the thing of asking a Portuguese person, um, a yeah. fellow Portuguese person to say, how do you make that? Um, <laughs> and having them say to you, the first line, and I started laughing when you said this, is yeah. when your mother-in-law said, oh, it's very hard and difficult. <laughs> that is like the very first thing that oh, I'm really. always told when I ask someone. And, and especially so if they're older. Especially yeah. older. And it's you go, mad. oh, how do you make that? Oh, querida, <laughs> Oh, it's so hard. Muito oh. complicado. Yeah, You know, all the, I, no, no, no. And you know what? There are, so funny. A lot of them just don't want to give you that recipe. Exactly. So exactly, exactly. And also there's this kind of culture of if somebody, if somebody hasn't taught you, you don't know it. So for instance, my mother-in-law, I'll be sort of, I could be kind of chopping up some garlic in my way. And she'll say, oh, I've never been shown how to do that. And I'm just saying, look at what I'm doing. I'm chopping it up this way. Just do it. If that, you know, oh no, I've never been taught. You have to teach me. No, just learn. Yeah. But it's that, so it's kind of a, kind of a, a mixed up way that from that same idea of, you know, there's uh, somebody higher up in the chain teaches you how to do something. And, right. and they don't feel like they can teach you something if they're not like specifically your mother or your mother-in-law. But also right. there's another thing of, I don't know if this is translated to, to uh, Portuguese descendants in America, but QB, QB, quent basta. It's the most annoying thing in recipes that you can imagine. So, you know, when you've got a, a recipe that says um, add salt to taste, so just enough salt uh-huh. For it to be right well in a portuguese recipe if you go online and look up portuguese recipes it's so many things that say qb like so it'll say make a to make a cake right you need 406 eggs um a spoonful <laughs> of sugar and and enough flour like QB yes! flour yes <laughs> what is yes it's yes insane. and that's another reason why i've had to teach myself how yeah. to cook because yeah. all the recipes say qb qb enough flour enough sugar enough eggs and yeah. 14 oh, and and put it in the oven until it's done I know. <laughs> no temperature no temperature no time just put it in there until it's done yeah. so it's like it's like there's a it's a it's an illuminati of old ladies and their recipes that's what it is it's one <laughs> big i think you're right you're i think you know it's funny and I, 
you know, in writing my cookbook, it was the same thing. I'm reading yeah. stuff that my mom, what little she wrote down was exactly that. Yeah. It was sometimes it was just ingredients and <laughs> not even what the quantities are of these ingredients. <laughs> and, and then other times it was, but of course, you know, she had passed and it couldn't be like, okay, mom, h- yeah. what is this? Yeah. And, and then when you go to ask someone else, they're like, oh, well, that all depends <laughs> on, you know, then there's a big story behind it. Well, it depends how many people, you know, exactly. it, de- it depends on, you know, so yeah, it is the, I never thought of that. I think you're right. It's the yeah. Illuminati of old, older yeah. uh, uh, Portuguese women. Well, I was going to say, perhaps it's because, you know, back in the day when they were cooking with, you know, fire ovens and there was really no temperature gauge, things like that. But, but I think you still find that even today when oh, yeah. ladies are cooking with, you know, yeah. modern day ovens that have a temperature gauge or anything like that. Right. I, I just, I have one experience where um, my mother-in-law makes a, a lamb dish that's really, really good. And so I uh-huh. asked her for the recipe. And this goes back to that. They really don't want to, they don't want to share the real recipe with you or they give you things that are just <laughs> a little off. Right. So she told me there was like 12 onions in this thing. And, oh, and, and there are a lot of onions. And I'm like, All right, fine. So I go to the <laughs> store and I buy 12 onions and I say, you know, is this, this, the pan that I have is about the size of the pan that she uses. Yeah. And I, and I, you know, you're supposed to chop them up real fine. I get about four or five onions in and the whole, the whole dish is full of onions. And I'm like, there's no way there's 12 onions in this thing. Like she she's, totally, she's, she's a member of the Illuminati. She's a member. Absolutely. Yeah. So Definitely. on the recipe that I wrote down from her, I like crossed out 12 and I was like, you only need, you know, four or whatever it is. <laughs> So I totally get it. And then, you know, even when you were out here, Maria, and we went to the bakeries and asking some of the ladies, yeah. I need a recipe for this. Oh, no, no, no. Nope, I'm nope. not going to give it to I you. Have, no. I still have not found the right recipe that I can produce yeah. a queijada de feijão. Oh, no, I haven't either. I, I've never I've never tried. But um, queijada I, de cintra, I can do my eyes shut. But with really? Feijão, That's yeah. awesome. It's I, so easy. Really? Yeah, yeah, it's so easy. It's so easy. Okay. It's just or and, and ricotta if you can. Ricotta, yeah. And uh, a bit of egg. <laughs> so, But this is by eye. So take some ricotta, beat it, beat like an egg into it, beat up a, a spoonful of flour to sort of hold it together, and cinnamon. And if you want to put a tiny bit of nutmeg in as well. That's the middle. That's the center. I mean, that's the, the middle of the of queijada de cintra. Is it then, really? And then what that, about the cup? Is a cup? Uh, the cup is just a completely basic water pastry. That's it. It's just really, really, really thin. Um, you've got to, That's the hard bit. That's the only hard bit, really. But you can also make a, a tartar queijan without any pastry. It's just the filling, and it's like bigger. It's like a plate-sized thing. And it's in our book, actually. It's in Eat Portugal, the recipe. <laughs> <laughs> Book. Gosh, oh my god, it. it's so good! It's so delicious. <laughs> Celia, Celia is the absolute expert on that one. And every time we go somewhere, to like going to someone's house for dinner or something, she'll bring one, and it's just luscious. So just it's ricotta. It's uh, just ricotta, egg, ricotta, an egg, a spoonful egg, of flour, cinnamon, 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 and nutmeg. Yeah, and sugar, and sugar, of course, sugar. Yeah. So, but it's delicious. I'll, I'll, I'll go and find the recipe later and I'll send it to you. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you know what I love about the queijadas de Sintra is because those are the ones they sell at the bullfight, right? 
they yeah, and the little little tube. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And because they're small enough where <laughs> you just sort of eat them one after another, right? Yeah, where easy. when I sit down with a, a Pshtelnata or one of the other uh, ones, I'm like, yeah. I'll have one. Yeah. And then I'm I'm good, That's right? It. But yeah. like no, the the the, the center, like I'll eat the whole roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, tell me, in the states at the moment, is this kind of is there is this kind of great big thing about pastéis de nata like there is in Britain? Because yes. everyone has just suddenly yeah. decided that yes. there is one thing that Portugal's famous for, and it's the pastéis <laughs> de nata, and yeah. it's yeah. driving me insane. Like yeah. people nope. get off the airplane and say, "Take me to my first pastéis de nata." And I'm yeah. like, what are you talking like years, like 10, 15 years ago? I mean, there's always been pastéis de nata and there's always been pastéis de wine, whatever. But they were not the national dish of Portugal. Yeah. And they still aren't, but everybody's gone great, gone nuts about it. Yeah, the, the big craze is the pastel de nata. Absolutely. Oh. I would say yeah. East Coast a lot, though, because out mm-hmm. here in California, you just can't get them very, very well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, East Coast for sure. And so yeah. you see a lot of it on social media. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, it's even the cover of our book. <laughs> oh my God. That is true. I was going to say that is the cover of your book, Lucy. Because, um, you know, it appeals to people because it's just, I mean, I will sometimes people in, in, you know, publications and websites in Britain ask me to do like what to eat in Portugal and I'll tell them and, and I'll do a list without a pastel de nata and they'll ring me up and they'll say, where's the pastel de nata? Oh, hmm. Now, let me ask you this, Lucy. Have you ever yeah. thought of doing a food tour? Well, Celia runs food tours, my co-author of Eat Portugal. So oh, she does. Yeah. Wonderful. So she works for a company called Culinary Backstreets. So we started doing tours off uh, the back of the book, basically, um, when it first came out, uh, a couple of years after it came out. Um, I'm, I've got other things to do and I'm not very good at it. Well, I'm, you know, I just don't want to do it all the time. Um, yeah and but Celia is great at it and she's really she's really in and she loves telling people about absolutely everything um that we eat and now she works with a company called Culinary Backstreets who they have cities all over the world where they do food tours um in Istanbul and Barcelona in Tokyo New York I mean everywhere absolutely everywhere. wow and so Celia heads up the 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 Lisbon end and they've got about um, a few guides and there's about four different tours that you can do and some take like three or four hours and some take the whole day and it's a walking tour gentle walking tour but a walking tour around the city eating all the way <laughs> I love it now so for our listeners that are listening out there yes. we will make sure that we include the link to this right. culinary backstreets thank you so that if you're visiting Lisbon yes and you want to do it and know all about the food and taste it all along the way and see Lisbon at the same time. I think that is an amazing way to do it. Thank you. That's great. Well, it's just culinarybackstreets.com. Perfect. And you can get to all their cities that way. And it's a really lovely way because it's more its more than just the food. It's the history and it's the food culture and multiculturalism. It's really, really fascinating. I love it. I'm doing it. <laughs> next time, it's on my list already. Better. So next time we go. <laughs> Um, well, ladies, as yes. you know, we said at the very beginning, uh, an hour flies by, so there's no way because we well, can no, ever keep it shorter to an hour. We can absolutely um, keep going here. Just uh, wind me up and I'll just... Well, you know, I was going to ask one last thing, and that is, or one thing I wanted to ask, what is next, Lucy? What is next? 
Well, I've got, I'm trying to think of my next book, um, culinary book project. I've got, I've got a couple of things in mind, but until, until the 12th of May, I'm a bit, I'm a bit busy because I'm one of the team that's making the Eurovision Song Contest here in Portugal. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. So that's my, that's my um, current occupation until May 12th. So that's the final and then we're done. Unless what? we win again. So are you singing? No, no. I'm Because last year Portugal won. Salvador Sobral uh-huh. um, won, won in Kiev. That's right, that's right, that's right. Uh, which is... Just I hear it every day. <laughs> it's like, and I still love it. So, um, and so we're hosting, and I got asked to be part of the team because the whole thing these days is entirely in English, and right. so I'm I'm there um, oh, helping awesome. with write, script writing and Englishifying stuff. Oh, when you said that, I thought, oh my god, she's performing too. <laughs> what does this woman not do? Right? Yes. No. What does she? What can she do? <laughs> That that I don't do. I wouldn't. I wouldn't subject you to that. <laughs> that would be awful. So no. But no, that's an absolute blast. I'm having absolute time of my life with that. As you can imagine, it's just it's sure. very no, very it's hard so work, cool. but it's very fun. That is wonderful. Yeah. Well, this has been so fun. Thank you so much, Lucy. Well, I, thank you. I and we'll include, talking. yeah, no, and we'll include links to both of your podcasts as well because I really want people to listen. They're thank they're, you. They're fun, and uh, you know, you get to learn some interesting history that you would never ever learn anywhere else. It's really yeah. cool. And by the time this comes out, uh, the Valentine special. Oh yes. That's right. We're publishing it tonight. Because uh, tomorrow is uh, is Valentine's Day. I so, know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah, I cannot the, wait to hear it. That'll it's be wonderful. so cute. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll include. The, I'll, I'll go ahead and include the link to to that episode for those for of our course. listeners. It's a, a Valentine's. I, I sent Lucy three minutes of a recording of. You know our connection to Portugal, and she turned it into a fifteen-minute podcast. I don't know how that happens, but um, I'm still amazed how we did it. It's, yeah, uh, I was thinking because when you when you sent the story, it was a few weeks ago now, wasn't it? And yeah, uh, and you sent the story, and I listened, and I sent it straight to Mark. I said, "There, listen." And you straight, he wrote straight back. Oh my god, this is so good. We got to do a wig right now. and then <laughs> and then Valentine's. I remembered Valentine's Day was coming too, so. Well, and it's funny because when I sent it, it was literally like I tried to keep it as short and succinct as possible <laughs> because I thought it was just going to be one of many stories in like. Yeah, company. I mean, we we were thinking it was going to be. Then we started working on it and went, oh, you know, this is good. Yeah, sure. we can spread it out a bit. You know. <laughs> so his bit, you know, he's because he's translating for you into Portuguese. Yeah. And mine, I'm just waffling. <laughs> no, you have a like perfect voice. You do a great job narrating. It's actually a really, oh, really well you. done. Thank you. Uh, well, with that, I think we have to wrap it up. Unfortunately, we we'll, just, we'll have to make a date to all meet in Portugal someday. Oh, do you know, that's my that's after this year of doing all the stuff in in the Azores. I want to go to the mainland. That, that'll be next year. That's Absolutely. obligatory. Absolutely obligatory. We'll all go out for lunch. Oh, and we'll record that. an episode. Yes. Around the I love it. I love and that. A co-episode of Pie and our Portuguese table. That would be amazing. I love it. Brilliant. And that is Let's a date. Do. We should make a date. Está combinado. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, oh, thank, thank you, thank you so much, Lucy. It has the been a pleasure. Yeah, no, you're so lovely, and um, you guys, 
love uh loved every every bit of it and um thanks listeners out there for being with us again we hope that you had as much fun listening as we did talking (laughs) and and doing all of this and you know please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already and if you haven't written a review please do lucy can tell you that the more reviews we get it does make a difference we're we're not lying on this (laughs) and we know you're listening Uh, we know you are yeah yeah, so please write us a review on iTunes. That would be really, really helpful. And of course, share. Share this podcast. Share stories of Saudade and Pai. Please share with your friends and family um, to spread the word about Portuguese food and culture and everything that's so wonderful about everything we Yay! have to share Yay! with the world. And so with that, it's a wrap. And we'll say... Até a próxima. Até a próxima, querida. All right. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to our Portuguese Table podcast. If you haven't subscribed yet, you can do so on SoundCloud or iTunes. And all episodes can be found on our website at www.ourportuguesetable.com. You can also reach us at feedback at ourportuguesetable.com with comments, questions, or suggestions. Até a próxima! Até a próxima.